Good morning. It's good to be with you this beautiful Sunday morning to worship together. Have you ever heard the saying, don't miss the forest for the trees? Or maybe the phrase, taking a bird's eye view. You gotta take a bird's eye view. And this gives the idea of stepping back and looking at a big picture. And sometimes we zero in so close on something, we, we only see the tree and we can't see the forest. So I've got uh, a picture here. And what do you see in the picture? Uh, a bunch of random dog pictures and a couple cats in there. Uh, but not, nothing really uh, that you can see. But uh, if we zoom out just a little bit, things get a little smaller. And there's a couple more pictures there. And we can almost maybe see a little outline of something. Zoom out a little more. Yeah, there's, there's definitely something there. Some more pictures come into view. And we zoom out the whole way. We can see that, yes, indeed, there is a bigger picture there. You can see a cat. All made up of smaller pictures. And if you're just looking in at the, the real close picture, you, you, can't, uh, you can't see the bigger picture. You zoom out. And uh, you can see the big picture. So if I ask you, what story does the Bible tell? What would you say? That's what I want to think about this morning. The big picture of the Bible. And the Bible has a lot of stories. Some are interesting. Some we can definitely pull out a, a good moral uh, to live by. But some of the stories we read are, are hard to understand. And it's hard to know what, what does this mean? There's a lot of stories that that just don't quite make sense to us. So how do we how do we understand what all this means? And I, I guess I'm specifically thinking of the Old Testament. Um, what do all these interesting and sometimes weird stories mean in the greater scheme of the Bible? And I want to say it's like this photo mosaic. Um, a lot of different individual pictures, but they all connect together. If you look at it. From a distance, take the, the 30,000 foot view, you could say, they connect together. It has a theme, and that theme is God's redemption embodied in Jesus. So I would say this morning, the Bible tells us a story that leads us to Jesus. So I'm going to start by reading a verse from John chapter 5, um, John 5, 39. And just a quick context for this verse, Jesus did a miracle. He healed this man at the pool of Bethesda, and it happened to be the Sabbath day, and there were some people questioning, you know, this is the Sabbath day, what are you doing? And Jesus gives a defense of, you know, himself, his ministry, his, his healing. And verse 39, he says this, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So Jesus, talking here, says, as you read the scriptures, they're talking about me. 
It's all pointing to my life. And the Old Testament, which is what he was referring to as the scriptures, that, that was their scriptures, was talking about him. And I think it's interesting to look at the different times where Jesus was questioned about something and he says, well, don't you read your scriptures? Don't you read the Bible? And it shows that he was reading their scriptures differently than others of his time. And, and another quick reference I'll make is from Luke 24. We see the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is after the resurrection, and, and they don't know quite what all is going on, and they're very sad, and, and Jesus joins them. And he says, why are you sad? And they're explaining to him, you know, we, we thought that this Jesus was the Messiah, and now he was, you know, crucified, and, and, uh, and there's rumors about the body being missing, and, and we just really thought he was the one. And Luke 24, uh, verse 25, Jesus actually calls them fools. He says, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I would have loved to hear, to listen in on what Jesus said. What, what was pointing to him exactly? Um, Jesus, reading through the scripture, saw it as pointing to his life as the Messiah and the Savior of, of his people. So the Bible is a living book, and it speaks to people. And it speaks in so many different ways, and, and uh, sometimes it, it is misused as well. But, but uh, I also don't want us to miss what is woven in throughout the Old Testament um, of this Messiah that was promised and that Jesus was the fulfillment of. So if we're not seeing Jesus as we read through the Old Testament, we're not looking at it quite right. We're not reading it like Jesus did because he saw himself and maybe we're not asking the right questions. Uh, maybe we're approaching it in the wrong way, but this is what the Bible is about. Maybe we need to step back and just look at the big picture. And uh, then we can see the mosaic, how each story fits in, how it connects uh, with, with other parts. And it takes work to understand the Bible. I'm, I'm not saying that once you just get the, the overall view, then, then everything is going to make sense, and we'll have perfect understanding of, of all these stories. There's, there's still things that make us scratch our heads. But I think having this picture in mind can help us as we uh, study the Bible, look at it as pointing to Jesus. So this morning, I want to do a survey of the entire Bible. Uh, just look at the big picture, and hopefully you don't have afternoon plans. We're looking at the whole Bible. Uh, just kidding. We'll, we'll uh, just take a, a skim view. And I want to look at the story that it tells through the smaller stories that we see and how that points us to Jesus. It's a messianic story in that it points ahead to a future deliverer. And as we look through this mosaic of stories, we can see different themes um, like human failure. When we do what's right in our own eyes, we can see the theme of God's redemption, God working through uh, mistakes even of his people to bring about his, his purposes and his promises. And throughout the whole Old Testament, we see this ever-present promise of a deliverer. So I'll start at the beginning. 
creation story, we read about God creating the world. And this is a story of beginnings, a story of foundations, the foundational story. God created the world and all the life that's in it. Finally, he created Adam and Eve, and he created them in his own image, um, put them in the Garden of Eden. And they were to dress and, and keep the garden, take care of it. And they were in paradise. They had connection and relationship with God. They were dwelling with God in the garden. Well, there was one rule. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it doesn't say why, but it just, it just says you're, you're, not, you're not to do that. Uh, and right away, there's a temptation. The snake comes in and entices Eve through lies to, to eat this forbidden fruit. You're going to be like God. Since she saw it, it was good. She desired it, she wanted it, and she took it. And Adam and Eve both followed their own desires against God's will. And this began an ongoing cycle of human failure and sin. And we, and we see so many following stories of the same thing happening. People are not good judges of what is good. But there were consequences. They were banished from the Garden of Eden. They no longer had this fellowship with God, this connection. And there was pain, toil, and hardship. It's now a part of life. There's also a glimmer of hope through this. We look at the snake's punishment. And God says there's going to be enmity between your seed and the woman. And there was a promise of a future seed of the woman who would have his heel bruised by the snake, but in return he would crush the snake's head. There's a promise of a coming deliverance. And this is the first messianic promise that's, that's given. A future deliverer from humans, seed of the woman, that's going to restore this fellowship with God. And the stage is now set for many other stories, stories of failure, but yet glimpses of hope. Soon after we read about Cain and Abel, Another story of, of failure, we see two brothers offering sacrifices and God shows favor to the younger brother and he's the one that offered the lamb, the first fruits of his flock. And this provokes Cain to, to murder his brother. Soon after we read about Noah, the time of Noah is said to have been full of wickedness. It says every imagination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And even says that God was sorry that he had made mankind, and God brought judgment through this worldwide flood. But he warned Noah about this. He said, it says Noah was a righteous person, and God warned him to build an ark to escape this coming judgment. And it was through Noah's obedience, building the ark, that he provided a means of deliverance from the coming judgment. Moving on to Genesis 12, we read about a character named Abraham. And God talks about how God spoke to Abraham, told him to leave his country. He was from Ur, and he said, you have to leave, go to a land I'm going to show you. And he left in faith. He followed God's leading. And it's with Abraham that God made this covenant to multiply his descendants and uh, inherit the land that he's going to move to. And he also promised to make Abraham's family a blessing that would reach all the families of the world a worldwide blessing through Abraham's family. But the problem was Abraham and his wife didn't have any children. 
and they were old. And how is this going to happen? But it says, Abraham believed God over his circumstances. He took God at his word and believed. And God miraculously gave them a child in their old age. And Isaac was born as a son of promise. And sometime after, God told Abraham to offer his son, Isaac, as a sacrifice. This child of promise, the beloved child. And as Abraham obeyed, he took the three-day journey to where God directed, and he was about to carry out this command to offer his son. But at the last minute, God provided a ram in place of Isaac. And as we look at this story, we can see a picture of the innocent promised son willingly offering his life. As Isaac went on to have twins, Jacob and Esau, and before they were born, it says that uh, there's two nations um, in your womb, says to Rebecca, and, and the older is going to serve the younger. And it was through his cunning and deceit that Jacob received the birthright from his brother and the blessing of his father, and, and he made that come true. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And this is where the nation of Israel comes from, the nation that God will work his purposes through. And he went on to have 12 sons. They're known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of these sons was Joseph. And Joseph, it says, was the favored son of his father. And this favoritism made his older brothers jealous, and they hated him for it. And it was so much that when the opportunity came, they sold their brother into slavery into Egypt. They wanted him out. But God was with Joseph, and he prospered as a slave, even in Egypt, as a slave, and, and through false accusations and imprisonment, God was with Joseph the whole time. And it was through God's gift of interpreting dreams that he rose up from that and became the second highest ruler of Egypt. And Joseph warns of a coming famine and in his wisdom, he's able to prepare Egypt for the famine that, that affected many different countries, worldwide famine. And it's his preparation that he was able to provide for his family, uh, his brothers who sold him into slavery. They were now suffering from the famine. They could come. And uh, anyone else who came, word got around, there's food in Egypt. And in Joseph, we see a picture of someone following a path of suffering, rejection by his brothers, false accusations, imprisonment, and then exaltation. And he ended up giving life-giving sustenance for all who would come, and even his brothers who betrayed him. So Joseph's family ended up moving to Egypt, and several generations afterward, the safe haven of Egypt becomes enslavement because we read about a new ruler coming to power who didn't remember Joseph, didn't remember what he did. And the Israelites had grown in number. They were fruitful. They had multiplied. God was with them. And this new ruler was fearful that they would take over. They were a threat now. So he made this command that all the Israelite baby boys should be thrown into the river. It was a population control of the Israelites here. And it was in this time that there was a baby born whose parents defied that rule. And they kept their baby alive. And this baby's name was Moses. And they soon realized they had to do something uh, with this baby. So they, since they put him in a little basket, called it an ark. 
and they put it in the river that was supposed to be his death. Uh, but this river took him to the princess of Egypt, and this princess found him, took him in, and uh, claimed him as her own child, raised him. So Moses was raised in royalty in Egypt, but ultimately we see him laying aside that identity and choosing to identify with his own people, the slaves. And in his attempt to right some wrongs done against his uh, fellow countrymen, he was rejected by his own people. They pushed him out. They did not want him. And we see him running for his life uh, to the wilderness. For 40 years, he was there. But God eventually called him back to Egypt. It was through this experience at a burning bush. God spoke to him, put this call on his life to bring deliverance. So Moses gets to participate in God's way of deliverance. And God performs 10 miraculous signs against Egypt. We call them the 10 plagues. And and after that, the Israelites are freed, um, released from their bondage. And it was right before they leave, right before the last plague, which was the death of the firstborn, God institutes what's called the Passover, where they had to take the, lamb, uh, the, the blood of a perfect lamb and they had to, to wipe the blood on the doorpost of their house. And then in so doing, the angel of death would pass over their house. And a failure to display the blood resulted in death. So they were brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand of God. Later on in their journeys, God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he gave them a set of laws that they were to abide by. We call this the Mosaic Law. And a lot of these were how to deal with sin and wrongdoing, what, what they needed to do, the sacrifices that they had to do. And the way they were told to deal with sin, they had to take an innocent animal and kill that animal. It's usually a lamb. Kill the animal on behalf of the one uh, who had done the wrong. And this introduced the sacrificial system that the Israelites had to live by uh, for generations. Uh, The innocent dying on behalf of the guilty. And while Moses was up on the mountain with God, we read about the idolatry that the Israelites fell into. They made a golden calf, and they're turning their back on God. And, And it says it incited God's anger, and he wanted to just wipe them out and start over with with Moses. But here we see Moses interceding for the people. And at one point, he even offered his life on behalf of the guilty Israelites. And in in Moses as well, we see this picture of a coming uh, deliverer, um, a savior who chooses to identify with his people, who rescues them from bondage, from enslavement, and also who intercedes and offers his life for the guilty. But Moses wasn't the promised Messiah. We're told of different of his failures, and it even ended up that he wasn't allowed in in the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, we see Moses foretelling, someday there's going to be a prophet like me. He's going to rise up from from among you, and you need to listen to him. And the last couple verses of Deuteronomy, written some point later in time, kind of just evaluates and says, you know, even to this day, we have not seen that prophet like Moses. And it shows that there was anticipation. They were waiting for that time. Something was coming. 
But the story moves on with Joshua as a leader in Moses' place, and Joshua was a conqueror. We read about his conquest of the land and taking possession of this land that God had promised Abraham. But after they settle into the land, we see this pattern of falling away and uh, facing consequences from that, um, usually bondage to other nations. And then they turn to God for help, cry out uh, for deliverance. And it's only when they call on God that God raises up a deliverer, a judge, to, to deliver them from their bondage. And this is where we read stories about people like Gideon and Samson, Jephthah, Deborah, Ehud. And there's, there's uh, pictures in each one of those. They each provide deliverance, but at the same time, they fall short. And eventually, the Israelites ask for a king. And this is told as, as turning away from God as their leader. They wanted a king to be like the nations. And it's a, a rejection of, of God's leadership. But God grants them their wish. And a man named Saul is, is chosen. And early on, it seems like Saul is, is a good fit. He's humble. He's obedient to God. But soon we read about envy, pride, ambition. And it brought him to a place where God rejected him as leader. And in the meantime, there's this young shepherd boy named David, who was also anointed by Samuel, a prophet at the time. And this shepherd boy is the one who killed Goliath and provided uh, victory over the Philistines, delivered them from the, the bondage of the Philistines. And David, we see, became the chief rival of Saul because of this anointing and the popularity that he now had. And he spent a long time on the run from Saul. Saul pursued him. He wanted to get rid of this threat to his power. And Saul pursued him through the wilderness for years. And we see David at times, multiple times, he refused opportunities that he had to kill Saul. He could have taken a shortcut to become king, but he didn't do that. He let that go. He waited on God's time and did not seize it for himself. And eventually he did become king after Saul died in battle. <clears throat> so David is a well-known character to many because of uh, his uh, story of Goliath, David and Goliath. Uh, he's the one who wrote many of our Psalms. But it's also his description of being a man after God's own heart. And he was careful to seek God in all his decisions. And Israel, under his reign, reached its greatest extent and uh, was prospering. And because of his faithfulness, God promised that one of his descendants would always remain on the throne. And it was a promise of an everlasting kingdom to his line. But even in this pinnacle of achievement, where he had uh, the, the greatest extent of, of uh, authority, Israel was at its best, and it was under a king who loved God, even in this position, we read about a failure of David. First it was adultery, and then it was murder, a desiring and then a taking. And there were consequences to this failure of David's that were felt for many generations afterward. But we see that David was not the one. He fell short. And David's son, Solomon, was the next king of Israel. And in Solomon's early days as king, God appeared to him in a dream and asked, you know, if, if, if you could have anything you want, what would it be? And this was just a spectacular opportunity for Solomon. 
And we see that Solomon asked for wisdom. He said, give me an understanding heart that I may discern between good and evil. And it wasn't wealth or long life that he asked for, riches. And God was pleased with this decision and promised him wisdom as, as well as wealth and long life. And, and he was known far and wide for his wisdom. Even the Queen of Sheba, we read about uh, coming to visit and just to see if, if this is really true. And he wrote uh, many of the Proverbs that we have, other wisdom books. And probably people in his day thought that this might be the one who's promised as a deliverer. He was a son of David. He was full of God's wisdom. They had the kingdom. But later on in his life, we read about poor decisions that Solomon made, and he disobeyed God's commands for kings, and he ended up living by his own wisdom and his own desires rather than God's wisdom that he was given. And after Solomon, the kingdom was fractured and divided. You had a northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. Each one had its own king. And most times, these kings failed to honor God and the covenant that was made with their ancestors. And there's just so many stories of failure that it's disheartening to read through the stories of the kings, uh, but we also see God's providence through that. We see stories of outsiders and foreigners putting their trust uh, in the God of Israel over, over against the, the Israelites themselves. And stories like Naaman and the widow of, of, of Zarephath. But gradually Israel just fell further and further from where God wanted them to be. And he sent prophets like Elijah and Elisha and others, uh, the prophets that we read. Um, and they, they called people back to God's covenant. And they, they let people know where they were falling short. This is where you need to be. But at the same time, they were also looking forward to a future prophet, that time when this prophet would come, what that's going to look like. And Isaiah talks about a rod from the root of Jesse. And he paints this picture of a suffering servant through Isaiah. Jeremiah and Zechariah call him the righteous branch. And there's many other messianic pictures given through the prophets. They were still looking ahead, even in this uh, dark time of, of their history. They were speaking to the present, but also looking ahead. And eventually they deteriorated to the point that they're each taken captive by foreign countries, and most of them are taken away from their land and became exiles living in Babylon, which was the world power at the time. And, and even during the exile, God continued to speak through his prophets. And we see Jeremiah telling them to build homes, plant gardens. But keep in mind, remember this promise of the Messiah. This time in Babylon is not permanent. It's not a permanent home. And Jeremiah promised a restoration after 70 years. You're going to return. And so it is. Seventy years later, they're, they're returning. And they're permitted to, to go back and rebuild. And we read through Ezra and Nehemiah. shows what that looks like, the rebuilding. But things weren't like they had been. And just a look at history shows uh, what happened uh, after that. The other empires taking control. The Greeks took over, and then the Romans... And they were always under the, the domination of, of foreign countries. But they still had this history. Going back to Adam and Eve and this promise of a deliverer, of this prophet like Moses, a conqueror like David, one full of wisdom like Solomon, 
there's somebody coming. This Messiah that they were waiting for and uh, expectantly waiting for now more than ever. And this is where we enter the New Testament. And suddenly we find a new main character. And there's this man named Jesus. And there's even four different versions or, or accounts of his life. There's the four Gospels. And we read about a miraculous birth. There's groundbreaking teachings, things that, that nobody was saying before. There's miracles that he's doing. There's demons that are cast out. And he's got his disciples that he's, he's teaching and training. And there's also traditions that are challenged. And there's enemies that are made. And the story is told in a way that makes us ask, who is this Jesus? Could he be the Messiah? And you see many people in his day that thought so. There were great crowds following him. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to hear these teachings. But it seemed like the religious leaders of the time uh, had a completely different idea of what the Messiah was going to look like. They were looking for a political deliverer to rescue them from Roman domination. And they thought that was the, the real um, test. If, if there was political deliverance, but Jesus came as a spiritual deliverer, and they were unable to see that. So even though he did nothing worthy of death, he was put to death by crucifixion, which was incited by the Jewish leaders and carried out by the Romans. And he was buried in a tomb, but three days later he was risen from the dead in victory over death. That Jesus died as an innocent man on behalf of the guilty, and in so doing, provided atonement and deliverance from the bondage of sin to all who would come and believe. And it's a beautiful culmination of all those shadows and pictures from the Old Testament. We see things coming together in the person of Jesus. Jesus was finally the true Messiah, but many people missed it because it ended up being very different than they thought. And soon after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven with the promise that he's going to return. And here we are today, still waiting on that return. No one knows when it's going to be, but it'll be when the time is right, and just like his first coming was. And if we've come to Jesus in faith, believing in his power over death and sin, and displaying that blood on our lives, we're part of the kingdom of God. And just like the Israelites, we find ourselves as exiles in a foreign nation. There's values that, that contradict God's kingdom, uh, but we're looking forward to that time uh, when Jesus will return, like he promised, and being ready when that time comes. Are we ready for that? Have we placed our trust and allegiance in Jesus, the Messiah, accepting the gift of salvation that he's offering us to atone for our sins. So the Bible is a story that leads us to Jesus, and I know that was a very quick overview, but it, the story of Jesus is such a beautiful story, and to think about the Old Testament and the stories that, that it gives, just pointing to Jesus, how they all connect together. Each one gives a different aspect. Can we see Jesus as we read through the Bible, the Old Testament. And there's so many other stories that you could look into and, and so many that, that I had to skip over. 
but they all, they all play a part. It's all part of this tapestry, this mosaic. Um, so what I want to leave with you all, just remember this, this uh, picture of a mosaic. Sometimes it's difficult to understand from just an individual story. But when we step back and we take this bird's eye view, hopefully we can see how it fits into the big picture. And it, and it takes work to understand. Um, but we want to see it pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the, the Old Testament and uh, ultimately God's plan of redemption. So let's not disconnect the Old Testament from the New Testament, but try to, to see how they fit together and uh, fulfill this, this beautiful story of, of God's redemption that he has planned for each one of us. So let's look for Jesus as we read the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and just thank you for this gift that you've given to us of um, all these stories that, that point to you and, and only you can, can organize the, the story of history like, like you have. And we have it all put together for us and I pray that we would be able to see the picture of you standing out front and center as we look at your word. I pray that you would guide each one of us as we look for your return. And I pray that you would help us to stay faithful in all that you've called us to do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.